This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. Hello, Hal, do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Do you read me, Hal? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we talk all things movies from first-time directors, indie films, art house, and much, much more. On this episode, we continue our discussion into the mind of Mr. Kubrick and talk the 1964 comedy Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, starring George C. Scott, Sterling Hayden, Peter Sellers, Peter Sellers, and Peter Sellers. The film was co-written by Kubrick alongside Peter Sellers, Terry Southern, and Peter George. A film about what could happen if the wrong person pushed the wrong button. U.S. Air Force General Jack Ripper goes completely insane and sends his bomber wing to destroy the USSR. He thinks that the communists are conspiring to pollute the precious bodily fluids of the American people via fluoridation. Principal photography took place in the United Kingdom. The film ranks 39th in the American Film Institute's list of best American films. And in 1989, the United States Library of Congress included it as one of the first 25 films selected for preservation in the National Film Registry for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Strange Love garnered four Academy Award nods and six BAFTA nominations and won the Writers Guild of America Award for Best Written Comedy. It runs 94 minutes and is filmed in black and white with a PG rating and premiered in January of 1964. I'm Gabe Vienendahl, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast, and I'm joined by none other than Mr. Alan Martindale, veteran podcaster and editor. Alan, what's happening? What's going on, man? We're we're doing this early. It's a little bit different. There's sun yeah, you outside. You can actually see daylight. Yeah, there. it's crazy. It's crazy. Usually these these are filmed during the night. It's a little bit different. It's it's even like moody. It's a little different mood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was thinking though, I've I've really enjoyed doing this podcast over the last year. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm probably gonna get us canceled on this one. Uh oh. I'm we're gonna go into battle. Is that what you're saying? I think we might on this one. Um Yeah, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. You'll hear everything I have to say. Well well I like that because yeah, I think we're gonna we're probably uh and I pro- by the way, I probably came in hot on that whole intro. So I just realized I was peaking at almost every <laughs> word. All, sound good now. So hopefully I've got it down to where it needs to be. Yeah, so I like battles. Battles are fun. And ironically enough, this would make sense because this is a war movie. So it's a comedy. It's a satire. But uh, let's, go to, let's go to war, Alan. Let's do it, man. Uh, yeah, I, I just, it's, it's okay. Here's, here's where I can start you off with a question, right? And then we'll break, you know, we'll get into the movie. I mean, the movie's pretty simple in its narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about a tyrannical maniac who's, really, who's pushed the button. Right. And right. Uh, basically uh, began a or, or will begin a, uh, a uh, uh, nuclear holocaust. So here's here's the question that will get you going and then we'll kind of backtrack throughout the story. What were you thinking as you finished watching the film? Um, so here's here's the thing. My views are a little 
a little mixed, a little complicated on this one. I love the premise. I think it's very interesting. And especially, I mean, I don't want to get political, but uh, the movie's well, kind of... Well, I think there's no avoiding it in this yeah, particular yeah, cast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, the movie's basically about the ineptitude of the people who have instigated the nuclear arms race, right? And are in charge of the big red button. I think it's more apt today than it was when this movie, which was meant to be a satire, was actually made because it feels like the ineptitude is even way worse now and it's more it's closer to real life than probably we would like to to admit. Yeah, I think it's definitely got a a, a tone for 2020 as well. <laughs> yeah. And it, as a film that's that's 20 or sorry, 50 plus years old, uh there's there's something ringing true about it for sure. Yo, no doubt. It it some I mean watching some of this it's like this is like watching the inside look of what the war room would be today or what it would be like on a bomber today. Like just the, the blind allegiance and, and ineptitude of these people and the pride that they take in being so dumb. You know, it's, it's <laughs> to me, it's like, wow, this is saying a lot about what our, our country is like today. Uh, and it was supposed to be a satire back in the day. Yeah. So it's yeah. crazy. I, I, uh, let me just, I'll say this. I've only, now, of all the Kubrick films, uh, this, is, this, is a, this is probably in the middle tier for me. Um, maybe slightly above the middle tier, right? And like I said last time, I haven't given each Kubrick film a rating. I think I will. I'm going to go through them like we talked about, and I'll give them a rating. This is somewhere in the middle to upper tier, but it's not in that top three you know, mm-hmm. threshold. Uh, but I enjoyed the film. I I laughed, so that was good. And I think I laughed at the things that they were hinting to and alluding to that were satirical, right? And also, like you said, the relevance that it carries with it 50-plus years later. So that actually leads me to a question I, I had penned down. And I don't mean it to be insulting to this movie, but so you, you thought it was funny? I did. Like you thought yeah. you, you were watching this and like, this is, this is good comedy right here. Yeah, absolutely. I just don't... I don't know. And I, I know I'm in the vast, vast, uh, vast, no, vast minority no, go, here. Let's go, baby. It is let's not go. funny. There is nothing... It is like... It, it. I love the story. I love the acting. I love the performances. I even love a lot of the direction. But um, Kubrick can't do comedy. He just can't do comedy. I would rather see him take a serious... Uh, do a serious take on this. As the book, because the book it was based on is not a comedy. It's not a satire. No. No. And I would have rather seen him do that. And I know what he's doing. I know why he went with the satire route. But it, it's, it's as if Kubrick hired a 12-year-old boy to write the comedy. Like, to write really? the jokes. See, I thought it was I, so dumb, so cringy, and nothing was funny. You have to tell me why. Because there's a, there's a lot of scenes in there that I think are absolutely hysterical. Really? Like what? Wait, absolutely. Tell me, well, tell me one of your favorites. There, I, I've got a lot of favorite scenes. And it's all about the poking fun at the incompetence of certain leadership. Right. And to me, that's the best kind of comedy when you can poke fun at something that's supposed to be serious. Like the, that, that makes it funny to me. I, don't, I mean, there, he's, he's, he's alluding to the ignorance at a high level, right? And I like that. So, and I think in, so, in- like the, the one. <laughs> 
the General Turgidson, who's played by George C. Scott, to me is absolutely hysterical as a character. And I've, there, I've, I'll, I'll give I'll give you a I'll give you a scene here that that I thought was absolutely hysterical. It's when he's explaining to the president that he cannot recall the aircraft. And he says, president says, do you mean to tell me, General Turgidson, you are unable to recall the aircraft? So what's happened for those listening is they've sent uh, one of the captains has issued a code red and sent the nuclear B-52 bombers to, to hit a target in Russia. And the president says, you can't, you can't recall those. And he says, that's about the size of it, sir. He says, however, we are ploy- we, <laughs> we're playing with every possible three-letter combination of the code. But since there was 17,000 permutations, it takes us about two and a half days to transmit them. And then the president goes, and how far is the target off the, or how far is the, the, the bomber off the target? And he says, 18 minutes, sir. <laughs> to me, that's funny because, A, I know that if you have to, it, it's funny because it's, the incompetence at that level, you would think there would be, I think it, there's, there's some, there's some truth to it. Right. Right. And so that's what makes it funny to me. Cause all you can do is laugh. What are you supposed to do? If look it, I would say over the past, whatever many years, what are you supposed to do? If somebody who, who has, who has access to these codes can, can, uh, basically begin the the nuclear holocaust yeah it's it's scary. That, that's a true statement and so the stupidity of those in charge makes me laugh i, I and i i get i know that was the intent i get it i just don't think kubrick's funny i don't think there's anything about him that's funny i don't think he has any sense of humor or knows and this is why i'm just i'm baffled because i i, I was reading up and this is on the list of 50 best comedies of all time and it's hilarious and i'm just there was one part that I thought was clever and kind of nailed the point he was trying to get across. It really nailed the satire, and that's towards the end. Uh, and the president asks uh, George C. Scott, you know, is there a chance that this bomber could get to its target? And he's like, have you ever seen one of these things, man? And he's like explaining it. He's so excited about uh, the American spirit and, and how these bombers are so badass, and they're gonna, they could do everything they want. And he's like, so are you telling me there's a chance it could get through. And he's like, hell yeah. And then he realizes the gravity of what happens if this thing gets through. That was the, the, one, the one point in the whole movie where I'm like, okay, I, that was effective satire. That, I think that was good. Everything else was over the top and not funny. Like Peter Sellers. Hold on. Here's another scene for okay. you. Because the general targets into me, once again, hilarious. So like he says, he explains this whole thing about how they can't recall those codes. And then the president says, and, and General Ripper, who's, who sent the codes off and basically has gone dark. He's gone dark. No one can get in touch with him. And he sent the bombers off. And the president says, this man, we know, this man is obviously a psychotic. And then it cuts back to Terry gets in and he says, well, I'd like to hold off any judgment on that, yeah. sir. And then, and then he continues. <laughs> this, I think it, the satire is great. I, I'm have I you gotta you gotta defend your viewpoint here more. I'm I, I think you I want to know. You say Cooper can't do comedy. That's fine, but I want to know what about it doesn't work for you on a little more detailed level. So okay, here's the thing. Like I said, I love the storyline. It, to me, it's such an interesting thing. Like the, the the story is so interesting. You don't need to try and make it funny. Like you don't. I'm already engaged. I'm already 
just by the nature of the story, I'm, I'm already engaged. These jokes are not funny. Peter Sellers is not funny. There's nothing. It is it, to, to me, this movie, <laughs> this is, this is so bad. Um, I thought the comedy was so bad that it was, <laughs> it was almost offensive to me as like a rational human being. Like, it's almost like insulting the intelligence of the audience to be like, isn't this fun? Like, Dr. Strangelove, the character, is so annoying. It's so annoying. Like, it's, it's not funny or clever or anything. Um, the, the dude, the, uh, the pilot in the bomber, and I know... Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens. Oh, I hated every second that he was on camera. I, you, I, I detested you, it. I, I, we're on completely different playing fields, and I love it. You would rather have had Kubrick create Crimson Tide. Yes. I, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Because I think Kubrick is such a talented filmmaker, and his take is always so, so beautiful and enthralling that this story deserves better than a ham-fisted attempt at comedy. I know why he did it. Again, I know why he went the comedy route. route. I know why he went for satire. I get it. It just didn't. I, the only thing I could think of is he's just not funny. I, I think that, well, this is, this is, I mean, first off, do you have a sense of humor, Alan, for satires? Yes, do you I like love satires. The naked, do you like the Naked Gun? Love do you like naked Monty gun. Python? Yes, love it. Love this, it. This plays the same as Monty Python to it me. It tries in, to. In, it, in its tone. In its tone, it plays the same kind of way to me satirically as those types of films. The fa- there's one, another scene. I mean, the whole George C. Scott character. I mean, he's in the middle of this war room and then he takes a call from his mistress secretary yeah. and starts telling her, like, he's in the most important meeting of, in the world and what's the most irrelevant thing you can do is take a call about when he's coming back to the room I, from I, the mistress secretary. I like the little line at the end of that phone call where oh. he says, don't forget to say your prayers. Yeah. yeah, and he adds those little those little silliness things. Yeah, in. I, I like that. I mean, there there are moments that are good, but overall, to me, if you're gonna go Naked Gun, you gotta go Naked Gun. Like you gotta do Airplane and make it crazy. You know, to me, there was there was too much boring uh, instances in the in the bomber where they're doing all the codes and they're they're like that went on and on and on. That that seemed authentic, and that's fine. But if it's going to be that authentic and you're going to take the time to be that authentic in there, why are you bothering with this dumb comedy stuff that doesn't work? I don't I just to me tonally it just didn't you either got to go all in on the comedy or you got to go all in on the seriousness. I think that's what for me on the opposing view is what makes it work, which is basically you take something you attempt to any the way he films it is not in a comedic way. It's not uh, it's filmed like if you look at it, it's black and white. It has a very kind of noir look to it. It's a lot of hard lighting, a lot of wide lenses. There's not a lot of they're not using the edit necessarily because a lot of comedies now will use the editing as a ploy to make the laugh hit as a punch. And this is not that like he's going to take a, a different approach, a lot of wide angle lenses, a lot of wide shots. There's some close ups, but relatively speaking they're used pretty infrequently um and and it's all just kind of wide shots of everybody there uh and so so aesthetically i think it's the opposite of what we've become accustomed to comedically 
using the edit and using certain shot types. And I can appreciate that. That made it funny for me is to take the aesthetic of drama and then still build in satire. I, I know I know what you're saying. So I'm glad you brought up Naked Gun because think about Naked Gun and Leslie Nielsen, also an airplane. Like to me, what made Naked Gun work was the straight man approach that Leslie Nielsen had. Like he was not a wacky, zany character. He was yeah. he was a straight like he was, you know, and everything around him is going haywire and is hilarious. In this, it almost feels like just the opposite, where the situation is very serious, but rather, you know, but they tried to create the comedy with wacky characters. And to me, there's something about like when people do silly voices or when they, they try and go over the top with comedy, it, to me, it just doesn't work as well. Like I know, I think you and I disagree on this, like Zoolander. I can't stand it because Ben Stiller's doing a, 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 weird, a weird voice. You know, to me, it's not, it takes the comedy away because it do, there's nothing plausible in it. Like Adam Sandler, his worst movies are the ones where he's doing a stupid voice. So to me, the silly voice thing, like Peter Sellers, I think that's what bothered me about Peter Sellers uh, with the Dr. Strangelove characters, the silly voice. It's just, it's too, I don't need the wacky characters. The situation, you could, you could actually make, to me, there's something more interesting in when a situation's going haywire, but people are normal and straight-laced and, and relatable. So you wanted a drama. That's what you wanted. I wanted Just a drama, a or let's make the situation a little bit wackier and make the, the characters a little bit more grounded in reality. Um, okay, I can go with you there. I mean, we're, we're going to differ here also. I have a question for you, and that's okay. I like it. I like the, 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 the difference of opinion and the difference of perspective. Alan doesn't like funny things. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> uh, i'm just kidding you don't like zoolander that's why i like about it is that it's so wonky it's so over the top so and it and admittedly stupid that it's kind of fun to just go into that absurdity of the world by the way Let you're me, not the first person to say that i i don't like my humor is obviously not doesn't align with most people and i'm i'm kind of messed up that way you're not the first person to say it you, uh, well, I don't know if that's necessarily true just in this case. Yeah. 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 But like, <laughs> like Will Ferrell, like for the most part, I'm not a huge Will Ferrell fan. So you don't like, if you look at comedies like Step Brothers or funny uh, moments, Anchorman, things like Anchorman, that. Anchorman, I like, I like Anchorman a lot. That's a, okay. But that's counterpoint to your description of a wonky character. See, I don't think so because absurd. he tries to play it serious. Like, like the character of Ron Burgundy is not like wacky doing a silly voice. He's like, he really, he lives in this world. He's, he's a little like Frank, Frank, what is it in Naked Gun? Frank, uh, Dremen? Frank. Yeah, I think so. Dreb, Dreben, Frank Dreben. Dreben. It's, it's a little like that where he's very serious about what he's doing. He doesn't realize that he's, that he's weird. He's not, he's not going, he's not hamming it up, going over the top, you know, to me, that's more when you can relate to the character a little bit more and see kind of their, their that they're, they have blinders on. To me, that's a, a little bit more, that's funnier. Okay. So let me ask you about, uh, uh, Lionel Mandrake, Colonel Mandrake from the exchange, the British exchange officer that's with. Gen, uh, General Ripper, General Ripper, the guy who sends the code to 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 drop the nukes, because he's he's that character. Yeah. He's he's somebody who's in a 
in a in a situation that's obviously out of control, but he seems like a relatively kind of poised or at least uh, grounded individual. No, yeah, and I liked that character way more than Doctor Strangelove. Like to me, I that was very that was I enjoyed that more. I, I still don't understand how he's British and he's in the American Air Force, but that's probably beside the point. But I like I, I like that character because he's just trapped in this insane situation he's trying to figure out a way to navigate out of it he's just an exchange officer it's actually not uncommon so oh is that what it was ha- okay yeah so that. they have exchange i don't know the depth of it we need a military specialist right. but i know that that's not uncommon to have a, an exchange officer from other countries come into the departments military departments of of other countries but he so he's he's kind of more straight and president <laughs> First off, the names of these characters to me are hilarious because he's obviously poking fun of it. Right. He's, 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 he's straight out coming, come out saying this is a satire because the names of these characters, you have President, also played by Peter Sellers, President Merkin Muffley. Wait, he's, he's basically calling him a pussy, right? Like that's what he's doing. Uh, he's more <laughs> of a straight-laced character though. Oh, I know, right? but I mean by naming him that, he's kind of, he's just saying like he's spineless. Like that's what he's trying to. And that scene where he talks to Dmitry, who's the, the Russian president, and he gets him on the phone, that scene to me is funny too. I almost feel, and the reason I, it's funny because it goes to this point that you were talking about, which is I think there's, as crazy as this sounds, there's some authenticity to the things that he says when he's talking to this leader of another world who has, uh, the potential to take out the earth with a, with a nuclear bomb. And he's basically talking, <laughs> they're basically arguing over uh, the conversation. He's saying, Dimitri, Dimitri, I, uh, no, I wanted to call and say hello. Yeah, see, that's and then stupid. Like I, did, I didn't, I, I literally rolled my eyes at this point. <laughs> that, but here's the truth, Alan. And I mean this as a relatively, I think, logical thinker, I mm-hmm. would say. I don't see it as that far-fetched. Here's the thing. Now, in 2020, I don't see it as that far-fetched because, again, I don't want to get political, but you can see a a leader from another country, if they needed something from Donald Trump, having to placate him in a similar way, you know? Like, no, you're you're great. I love talking to you, you know? But uh, in normal society, I'm not sure how realistic that is. Yeah, I I I'm I agree, but I also think that there's some uh some truth to it even beyond this political spectrum of 2020. Mm-hmm. I think m- maybe not that in depth or uh especially now, of course, with with Trump, I would I would say this would be something that could happen. But I I don't I don't imagine to say that this doesn't happen or couldn't happen with anybody else. I think the 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 atmosphere that we're in now culturally and politically this doesn't seem that far fetched <laughs> that's very true not not yeah. just the trump thing although that's one thing but outside of how our political spectrum rolls now and I'm we won't get overly political but we're just a bunch of dummies they're just a bunch of dummies doing whatever they're doing for right. you know what i mean it's all self-serving so, right all self-serving so it doesn't seem as though it's that far fetched um and and so yeah, but you have I mean if you look at Sellers, you have the three characters that he plays. Two of them are straight laced. One of them's over the top. 
Yes, and I like the straight lace characters way more. Uh, I like the idea of Strange Love. Uh, I like the uh, yeah, uh, I agree with the that. secret mission of him being a German defector who has come to the United States after post World War II and is a scientist uh, with his hidden agenda still in place. Well, it's, which is yeah, his his Nazi tendencies. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean that's it's Operation Paperclip, right? We did bring Nazi scientists over after the war and gave yes. them, I don't know, immunity or whatever, like, and, and gave them jobs essentially. And so I, I, I like that. And I like what they, again, liked what they're trying to do. I think the execution was way too over the top. I like the idea of him having a, uh, a secret agenda still. I think that's fun. And I love his little plan at the end, by the way, uh, to get everybody in, into a mine shaft and everyone gets laid. I, I like that plan. I, I thought that was great. Yeah. 10 women for every man. And then they just multiply for years and years. And it's just like, well, I love he's trying it. when, uh, when the general's like, well, wouldn't we have to give up monogamy? He's like, it's a sacrifice. We're just going to have to make as men, yeah. you know, like it's just, it's so good. I think, uh, I think the other thing to take into consideration when you're watching this movie is that, you know, you got to remember this is, this is, you know, what, maybe 15, I guess 20 years post world war two. It's the early to mid 60s. Vietnam's going to start up shortly. So I think the ability to satirically jump into a kind of war comedy, the timing of that, you're talking about between World War II and pr- just right at Vietnam starting, essentially, and, and being able to attack something, attack something so serious. That's what I think I like about it is the fact that you can take something that we all would consider if we were having a kind of, I guess, quote unquote, normal conversation, we would all agree that this is a serious thing and that people who at the highest competency should be placed at the top to make these kinds of decisions. Uh, And what's interesting is that's not the reality. I think you place people at the top who are not competent to make these decisions. And as a result of that, I think his satire works for me. And I thought it was funny. I Um, like that. And especially you think about the time. This was like right in the middle of the arms race in the Cold War and the escalation of of nuclear threats. Like this is, I think, I would imagine that was a very scary time to be alive because I know they were doing drills in, in schools, like what to do if the, if the bomb is dropped, you know? And so to me, to ease the tension in this way probably hit, it would have hit me in a better spot probably back then than it does now. I think it's hard to pull off. And I agree mm-hmm. with you there. Like that era makes a difference. I think it's hard to pull off. I would imagine, you know, we talked his other, what's interesting about Kubrick to me in, in his portfolio of work, and this comes just after Spartacus and just after Lolita. And basically after he's kind of shunned away, quote unquote, the studio Hollywood system. And he makes this and, I think too, and and this is a stretch, but I also think just studying st- some of Kubrick's material and some of his uh, film philosophies, things like that, is that, and, and this is a, qu- a question I have for you, and it's one I thought about, which is, you know, what comment is the author, and I say Kubrick b- by the author, trying to make about the culture or about certain uh, uh, industries or, or, or characters, we'll say. Um, and I think part of it, in his own subtle way, is also plugging the fact that the Hollywood system in his own subtle way, this is a stretch for me, right? I'm just 
But I think about going forward, he always kind of pokes back at the Hollywood system in his films after Spartacus. So this is uh, the idea that you have a bunch of people trying to uh, oversee, trying to lead, who are incompetent and try to get their fingers into every little thing. And ultimately they end up, you know, fucking it up. Right, right. Um, no, I, th- I I like that theory. I think it's good. And in regard to, um, so you said something earlier where, you know, you we, we kind of expect the people who have their finger on the, bu- on the red button, you know, the people in charge, uh, and, uh, they have tasked themselves with keeping us all alive as a society and as a country and as a world, we yeah. trust that they're the smartest and best of us. Um, but oftentimes, in fact, all the time they're not, but they're not necessarily the, the, here. I think, I don't think we trust that we, and I'll just, I'll say we hope, we hope that's right. We would like to trust that. Like we would like yes. to believe that we, you know, it makes us sleep better at night. If we believe that these people are are uh, know what they're doing, right? Uh, I, I don't know. Do you ever listen to hardcore history? No, I okay. listen to drunk history. Drunk history is great, <laughs> yeah. But hardcore history is, uh, to me, in my opinion, the best podcast ever ever made. Uh, it's by a guy named Dan Carlin. He 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 goes back and he tells you know it, it's a history podcast, but he tells it in a great way. It's fantastic. Uh, but he has another podcast. It's a little bit more political. And he told a story one time saying that he used to be a reporter. So he would have access, uh, to senators and, and congressmen. And he would, he'd go to these dinners in Washington. And he said that the scariest moment of his entire life, and I'm paraphrasing, so I could be wrong, but from what I remember, he said the scariest moment of his entire life was going to one of these dinners, meeting all these these lawmakers and realizing they are no smarter than anybody else. Right. Right. And I think that's kind of the point of this movie. Yeah. I think there, and and that's the, the question I think for you, you just answered my question, which is what, what comment is the author making? I think that is part of it for sure. On a side tangent to that, I completely agree, which is I was doing a, as a side note here, I was doing a, uh, a video for uh, uh, somebody who's who's a you know really smart guy for lack of like, giving away too much super smart guy and I'm watching his video super interesting he's talking about computing and cloud uh, migration and all this crazy stuff that you know technical stuff super nice guy super smart guy and I thought why don't people like here's what what I thought politically and we'll get into it a little bit why aren't people in that caliber the ones that are, you know, running and, 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 and trying to be uh, politicians for our, we want that hope. That's the only way we're going to get it is putting people like that at the seat. And what you just said about him going to these parties and realizing, man, they're not that much Harvard educated lawyers. The, the, the truth be told nine out of 10 of them, there's always that one anomaly, mm-hmm. but nine out of 10 of them are not any smarter than us. And that's a little bit worrisome. Yeah. Cause maybe. imagine us being in charge of the nuclear arms in this country. Yeah. What would I we always do in this think situation? That I, I'm like, I could do it. And then I think that I get truthful with myself right. and I'm like, no, I fall apart right. in about two seconds. And then think about how narcissistic you have to be, no matter where you fall politically to think that you could, that you could, th- that do- I deserve to be the guy doing it. I am. Yeah, exactly. I'm the guy. Right, right. 
to leave. Um, so, so there's de- well, you get into politics. I mean, I think all politicians are narcissists. Totally, you have right? to be. You have to be. I don't think that's a hot take. I think there's a couple sprinkles in there that have good intentions. Yeah. So of for the sure. of the you know what I mean of the hundreds of congressmen, senators, etc. There's a couple sprinkles that have the right intention. Right. But ninety eight percent right are narcissists. I mean, if and if you took away the limelight and the controversy and and having to deal with people, maybe we would get more of these, um, these, these intelligent people in these positions of power, because I think that's part of it is, is they don't want to, I mean, I wouldn't want to deal with that. Like dealing with the other side, a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure being in front of the microphone all the time and having to act perfect. And, Oh, no, thanks. Uh, no fun. Yeah. I, I, and so I think you're right. I think there's definitely a commentary there culturally about, it's a political commentary, right? Like we discussed. And so I think that's part of what Kubrick's doing there. Um, real quick to get back to part of the point was what, what I was thinking about before was his span of work. So you have this film, which is a war film, but it's a satire. When you jump forward like 15 years and you have Full Metal Jacket, which we discussed last time, which is a serious take on war. It's a completely different spectrum. Mm-hmm than this film. And <clears throat> I think there's an old, and, and this is just me being the Kubrickian that I am and being the Kubrick apologist. So is that it's, it's, I love the idea that as a filmmaker and a storyteller, you can take a spectrum of things. And for you, it didn't work for strange love for you. It didn't work for me. It does work uh, satirically, but it, to, to be able to take the spectrum of storytelling as as silly and outside as strange love is to something very serious tonally to of vietnam like you couldn't and the point being is that you can't take i think he knows how to how to pick his stories because the reality is you it'd be really hard to make a satire on vietnam until later on with something like tropic thunder like came about and right. it's not even about vietnam but it has those kind of nuances to it and i don't know if you enjoyed that movie but i thought it was funny cuz you don't like ben stiller either i so. like no i like ben stiller <laughs> i like him when he's not like dodgeball and i'll, I'll just this would be my last point on this then i'll let it go dodgeball i thought was it was funny except for the ben steeler character because he's doing a silly voice like just yeah you don't need to do the silly voice man yeah it's over the top so i i like it but what i'm getting at is is it's it, he picks and chooses carefully you know it, it's it's not just like a at this point in his career he's picking and choosing he picks this and he decides to go this route i mean you read uh red alert of course tonally it's a drama and it's serious it also, in some of the research, said that he read like over 40 or 50 books based on atomic bombs. Like he was trying to figure out that that side of it. And so he picks and chooses. And I think the only way for him to, to directionally go is to go, I'm going to go over the top, stupid, silly satire, because this is a real threat. I mean, and it is, right? Sure. I mean, you look at it and like we've built ourselves into a society where we literally, and this is a true thing, I think no one would combat this, is that we do have the option to just end it and human life <laughs> like we have you know intellectually and technologically built ourselves into a position as human race that we can literally go we're done <laughs> that's it <laughs> so i think for me what i'm getting at is that the only way to look at because that's so morbid and so dark 
It, if you think about it at that level, where like literally a button ends it, for, boom, we're it's gone. Crazy. It's uh, the only what I'm getting at is the only way I think, and this is why I like about what he did was the only way to to, to tackle it is go, okay, we're fucking morons, right? And the only thing I can do is laugh at it. Yeah, and I see, I get that, and I like that. I actually so. I was going to ask you, do you think, and you might not be the right person to ask about this. Because um, I'm too much of a Kubrick. No, because, I that... mean, because you're like, you're like most people and you like this movie a lot. You know, to me, I would need to ask another person who is a little cynical of, of this film, I think. Um, do you think. I can be truthful, though. I mean, okay. you're right. I'm going to lean true. a little bit towards my bias. No question. That's honesty. Well, but. I'm usually pretty truthful with the answers. Very I'll try true. to be the best I can. No, very true. I just, the supposition of my question is almost understanding it's a, not a great movie. Um, but do you think his, his commitment to authentic, authenticity, like he does in a lot of his films, uh, and his, because he is just so meticulous. And like you said, he read all these books about, about you know, the nuclear arms race and all that kind of stuff. Do you think his his obsession with authenticity hindered him in trying to do a satire because he's always got to stay grounded. Like the bomber, you know, he just had one photograph of inside one of those bombers and he built the entire set uh, based on that photograph meticulously. And I wonder if, if he would, if he could let go of the authenticity a little bit, if he would be able to do a more effective satire. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's, uh, that's unfair. I mean, uh, maybe he, he's so uh, in the zone focused about realism and authenticity that you lose a little bit of the campiness that can happen with it. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. You, if you ask someone who's a little less uh, positive bias on Kubrick, then they might give you a different answer. Yeah. They might, they might completely agree. I, I can see where you're coming from. I mean, it's interesting directorially for me, like as a, as a, as a person who loves stories and, and who goes and makes, you know, short films and, and does a couple features, like I can see where, how hard it is to become distracted by things that maybe don't carry the same weight. Like you zone in, like, for example, I went and did this short film a couple of weeks ago and you can zone in on the wrong thing mm -hmm. and you get, uh, strictly focused on, you kind of put the 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 blinders on and you get and then when you step back from it as you're reviewing stuff and looking at footage you go oh man i i really messed up here i missed this this and that this was right. the real thing but i think part of that goes back to the preparation like how much are you going in so like for me who's we're running gun and and we don't have a lot of time to focus it's it i can see where that comes into play with someone like kubrick it almost feels like the preparation is that so he's already kind of decided premature not prematurely but decided beforehand how to how to attack it from his do you know what i'm getting yeah, at yeah so i don't know it's a good question i mean i think uh i liked uh levels of the authenticity um with you know, it's, it's, he, he does kind of change it up in his shots too. Cause a lot of the, the shots in the war room and then a lot of the shots with general Ripper and, and Colonel uh, Mandrake are all kind of wide shots, uh, of, of the, of the room in those scenes where the B-52 bomber gets attacked by the, the radar bomb, uh, from the, uh, it, 
it feels very real. Like right. it, it's shot all really tight and close inside the plane. It's a lot of uh, camera movement as if you're a fly on the wall. It's not a static shot. So it, it, it changed. And so it's weird because in that moment, I did feel like, oh, this is a serious film all of a sudden. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. For that brief second, I was like, oh, we're, this, is a, this is legit. And then he takes you back out of it. And I don't know that that's good or bad. Actually, I can say that. I don't know that I love it or hate it. I just know that it was different from everything else I was feeling comedically and laughing at before. I think you kind of nailed where the film lost me. Because when, when we're living in these two tones, I kind of want one or the other. Like To me, it, things are funny when ordinary people are reacting to extraordinary circumstances. I mean, that, that kind of sums up what I think is funny, not the other right. way around, not ordinary circumstances with extraordinary people, like weird people. Like to me, that's not funny. Uh, I want to be able to relate to it. So getting those shots in the bomber and getting them doing all the, the military protocol, that was, it was too authentic for me to take, for me to be like, okay, now I, I can, I can still go with you on the crazy wacky satire. You know, like yeah. to me, you're giving me that glimpse of authenticity. I enjoyed that. I want to see more of that. That's that to I, me. That's where I, I did me. like those scenes. I mean, they're filmed well. That's one thing I was looking at outside of the satire was they're filmed really, really, really brilliantly. Like they're put together. They right. are. It's so, gorgeous. Everything he does is gorgeous. And plus, James Earl Jones. You got Darth Vader. You got Darth Vader in there. <laughs> a young, a young Darth yeah, Vader. He makes everything better. So. uh just to walk through the the, the, the storyline to get us kind of to the end, and then I've got a couple more questions I want to address with you. So uh, the, the whole back and forth is between the, the Russian government, the president, uh, president uh, uh, of, the, of the U.S., who's played by Peter Sellers, and they're going back and forth. They're trying to figure out how to navigate this. I mean, even so much that so that uh, they, they know they can't call the bomber back because it's off comms, but they're going to send craft to destroy it and, and, uh, knock it off its target, et cetera. So, um, that's the, the, the idea of the story going forward. Um, tell me your either least favorite character or favorite character in your case, probably least, least favorite character uh, in this film. I'll give you both. Uh, my least is Dr. Strangelove. I don't, I don't think there's anything real redeeming about it. And I think it's just the wacky voice and the over the top, I don't know. I felt like I was watching um, some old timey. I don't know. It just didn't. It didn't hit right with me. Uh, but I tell you, the character I loved was General Ripper. I loved him. I thought he was fantastic. And and we talked about Sterling Hayden last week with the killing. I thought he was just fantastic in that role. And I be- like that's that was just enough quirkiness. And over the topness for me to still be like, okay, I'm I'm still on board. I really enjoy that. I think it aligns with your uh, analysis, which is he uh, is a, he's he's crazy, and he is psychotic, but he's straight laced. <laughs> that is now. Once you said that, that's a funny line. Like I'd rather not judge until we get all the facts in. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good i just think he's defending something that is blatantly obvious right, right exactly yeah and it makes exactly. it, it makes it funny to me yeah. um tell me uh okay so we have uh general ripper tell me a, a favorite scene in the movie that you that you enjoyed i love it when after his his men 
have surrendered, which first of all, he never thought they'd do. Cause it's a, it's a blind rah, rah America. We're braver and tougher than everybody else. I love that embodiment of him. And when he real <laughs> when he realizes it's over and he starts asking about torture and he's like, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stand up to torture. There's something about that defeated, uh, just look on his face. It's so, it's just, I love that. I love that part. Cause I thought that also, was funny. He also, <clears throat> he also starts drilling general Ma- or uh, commander Mandrake, general Mandrake, uh, who's the, the British exchange officer. He starts drilling him on world war two. And yeah. he's like, were you ever, were you ever a prisoner of war, prisoner of war general? Right. Were you ever tortured? And he starts talking about how he was tortured. He was captured by the Japanese and he was tortured. Um, uh, what's the deal with the fluoridation? What's the deal with the bodily fluid? I don't know, but is essence? this where this, this crazy conspiracy theory started? Did it start with Kubrick? Which it, would make it, sense it could because have. Kubrick is, is uh, alleged to be involved in other conspiracy theories too. So maybe that's where it started. Well, I got to ask you a question though, real quick. I do want to know your favorite um, character and your least favorite character too. But what's the deal with the gum? Everyone's chewing gum constantly. Everyone's shoving gum into their mouth. That's one of the survival thing that one of the items in the survival kit is a pack of chewing gum. Yeah, the the one scene that comes to mind again is with George C. Scott when he's delivering the news to the president and he stops mid-sentence and puts another piece of gum yeah. into his mouth. See, I think it's funny because and the reason I think it's funny is because it's so absurd. The idea that you have the time uh, and your brain power to stop and be like, oh, by the way, I'm just going to throw this gum in my mouth. But they do it in the bomber, too. Like they're all chewing gum while they're looking over the papers and stuff and they're all shoving gum in their mouth. And I just. Yeah, it could be something deeper. Yeah, I didn't Historically that that I'm unaware of. Yeah, I just didn't understand what that was. Here's the thing. I wanted to ask you about uh, water fluoridation, (laughs) which is (laughs) only because this was his his premise or his his motivation to 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 want to send the nukes off because he well or at least the bodily fluids right uh, the russians were uh invading our our <laughs> bodies via at least from what i understood via fluoridation right? right yep it's the controlled adjustment of fluoride to public water supply to reduce tooth decay yeah like we have i mean we literally have fluoride in our water but it's not harming us like it's it's supposed to be a good thing and uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But this, is, this might be the first instance of people freaking out about it. I just think it's funny. Uh, what is interesting, though, is beyond... I mean, fluoride seems harmless, and it, and it basically is. What's, what is interesting, though, is the idea that uh, an external government or other country could infiltrate the water system. All over the country, too. Well, it's like chemical warfare. Like, that's actually serious. I'm not right. a conspiracy theorist, but I just mean, I think what he's alluding to it is the idea that we have a lot more vulnerabilities than we probably think we do. Yeah, well, and I, I just love that he gets obsessed with it. Like, it, it's driving everything he's doing. He's ending the world because of it. Yeah. Like, literally, and, he brings about the end of the world. And as the attack on the base gets closer to him, he pulls out his, I don't know if that's a 50 caliber machine gun. Uh, but he starts shooting outside his own windows. That to me was funny too. Yeah. And then he yells out to the window because, by the way, the 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 army that's coming to invade the base is an in, it's a U.S. army, right? 
uh, the the president sent them to try to either obtain or get the code, right? Because they would rather have sacrificed, I guess, the base versus to get the code from Ripper. Because as he's shooting outside back at them, so we're basically fighting each other is, right. is the concept. And then as he's yelling, as he's yelling or shooting his 50 cal and he's, and he's, and he's yelling at him, he, he, he encourages him. He's like, good shooting, boys. Keep it. He's like, you're doing it the right way. I thought that was funny. Too. Yeah, I thought that was good because he, he cannot um, he, he can't get that part of him. It's like he's pro army and military or Air Force, I guess. And he can't get that that out of him. You know, even when he's fighting against these people, he's still like super, super go, go America. Like, you know, it, it's just it, it's just fun. That's the I think that's what this movie does so well is these characters are not able to shed who they are, even in the midst of an absolute annihilation of the entire planet. Right. Under the, the highest of pressure. Yeah. Um, he goes, this is, I wanted to, since he's your favorite character, this end scene, uh, wanted, or not end scene, I'm sorry, this scene where he ends it, mm-hmm. he calls for a, 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 a surrender and then versus being taken captive by his own government to relinquish the codes uh, to the nuke bomb, he goes into the bathroom and shoots himself. Mm -hmm. Dark. It's very dark. Like, I mean, I knew it was coming. Obviously they, they telegraph it in there, but I, I was almost feeling like this is 1964. I mean, wasn't that taboo then? I mean, are they going to do it? And yeah, it was, it was pretty dark. I loved it. I did too. I did too. <laughs> I did. I loved. I thought it was hilarious. They don't show it, and that's good. I like the idea. Of course, they couldn't. Right. But I like the idea of he goes in there, and then you just hear it, and then it cuts back to to uh, Mandrake, who's just kind of like, "What just happened?" He's trying to compartmentalize it all. Um, he's trying to he also decipher the code, and he's trying to take all the little hints that Ma- that Ripper was giving him based on his his talk. And he's trying to decipher the code um, during this whole time. Meanwhile, the ending here, because it gets towards the end and the bomber's coming into its target or getting close. And they realize they've been, they've been, the fuel's been compromised and they can't get to the ultimate target and they have to go to a quote unquote shorter target. And these shots of the bomber made me laugh. These back screen projection shots <laughs> of the bomber. Yeah. And what, what sucks is for me at least, at the beginning, they were actually pretty damn good. If you think about the back screen projection at the at the beginning, I thought they were good. Mm-hmm. And some of them are mixed with real shots, but it was good. But as it gets towards the end, I mean, the back screen projection shots of the bomber killed me. They were they were trying to show them flying low to the ground. It looked so off. It was just Again, it was very non Kubrickian in terms of perspective. It could have worked if they hadn't been so authentic with the interiors of the bomber. Like to True. me, it could have worked as, as satire in, in, in the comedy. Or you just capture the right back screen projection so your visual perspective's True. not thrown off. Yeah, that's what point. I was like, Kubrick, what are you doing? Are you doing this intentionally now? It kind of felt um, like it. So he the the they can't they basically what ends up happening towards the end is they can't uh they can't stop it. He's going. And and uh Slim Pickens says, hey, guys, this is Alan's favorite part, by the way. I can tell 
based on his scoff. He scoffed right there, everybody. Alan just scoffed at this last part, which makes me No, I, I, I more <laughs> scoffed at Slim Pickens. Like, oh, I know. That's, I what, I'm that la- that's what I mean. That's what I mean. It just makes me laugh. I oh. got a scoff from Alan. I love it. <laughs> and so Slim Pickens can't hit the target, but no, damn it, he's going to hit a target. And so he comes up short, but the bomb won't release. It's malfunctioning. So he goes back to the bomb, and, and damn it, he's going to fulfill the mission. Going to happen one way or another. So he hits the release valve, the fail safe, or whatever it is, and boom, the bomb drops, and guess who's riding that baby home? That's a fun shot. That's a, like that is, that's is the most famous satire. shot of the movie, right, I think. Right, right. And that's, that's great satire right there because that is kind of how, it, you know, if, if this were to go down, I mean, you're not going to literally have a, a cowboy riding on the, the bomb, but you are going to have a lot of people being like, yeah, get those Ruskies, you know, take them out. So I thought, I thought that was great. I thought that was effective. And it's the Simpsons parody of it's great, by the way. You ever seen Homer oh, riding the bomb? Always, always find a way to bring the Simpsons. Always, in. man. That's, always. That, the best. That's, I'm okay with that. I'm a fan <laughs> of the Simpsons. I love the Simpsons. So that's almost the end. And then, well, it is the end until we cut back to the Dr. Strangelove and he just can't contain his, his his german nazi uh underlying <laughs> philosophies um and all of a sudden he, i i thought it was funny because when he gets up and says mein Führer," and then he says i can walk yeah and he's out of his wheelchair that he's been handicapped to the entire film i thought it was uh funny and then it basically cuts from there to a montage of nuclear explosions mm-hmm. i thought that was a little wonky that edit there i would have liked to have seen something to indicate that the war room got it you know, blown up there too. And it's played over the song. We'll meet again. And so, uh, I don't know if that's true because they just blew the world so. up I don't, within. What do they say? Within 10 months, no one will be. Able yeah. To because part of the plot was once the Americans were going to go to Russia and hit a target with a nuke bomb, then Russia came back and said, we have the doomsday uh, machine. Thank you. We have the doomsday bomb, which is a bunch of bombs planted under the ground that if we hit the detonator within 10 months due to radiation, the entire earth will be compromised. Yep. And it goes off automatically. And it goes off automatically. There's no way to stop it. Right. So let me ask you one question. So final scene in the war room, the the Russian ambassador sneaks off. What is he doing? Is he planting a bomb? Is he what is he doing? He's taking pictures again. That's what it looked like to me. He had another little Is that what it was? Okay. That's what it looked like. Which reminds me of a funny scene to me. I think it's funny. When they bring the Russian ambassador into the war room and George C. Scott is just not having it. He's going to see the big board. It's it's so funny to me. This is another. See, I think I laughed most at George C. Scott's characters. And that scene where they bring the Russian ambassador in and... The president, the ambassador, and George C. Scott are in a triangle. And, and then George C. Scott starts telling him how, how uh, President uh, Dimitri is a, is, a, is a fascist communist pig. And he can't contain himself. He just, he, no matter what, he's, there's no decorum or professionalism. He just has to blurt out whatever comes to his mind. And you're like, and, I was, and then within two seconds, he's wrestling the ambassador to the ground. And Alan, this to me makes this, I know it's a silly thing and it's very trivial, but it was so funny. He's wrestling to the ground and he's telling him, but I, I found him. He was taking secret photos because he had that little spy camera. He's taking secret photos. 
And the president's like, just let, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, let him up, stop being stupid. And then he's like, but what about the big board? <laughs> what about the big board? What about the big board? I don't know. I just, I just thought it was funny. He was so into the big board. I like uh, that, which, uh, that, that. There's a one little line that I thought was just, it was just kind of funny. It was, uh, president says, you guys can't fight in the war room. <laughs> it's right after that when yeah, he says, what yeah. about the big board? This is a war room. There's no fighting in the war room. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was funny. And that leads me to, I'll answer the question because I know you asked it and I had asked you. I think my favorite character is, uh, is, is George C. Scott. How about right? least favorite? Um, so George C. Scott's uh, my favorite character. I think the least favorite. Man, I, I, I know I'm going to sound like an apologist here, but I just love all the characters. I really do. So it's hard to choose one. If I go least favorite, I'll probably go Russian ambassador. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> easy one. I feel like that's an easy one. But I think General Buck, you know, Tur- T- by the way, his name's Turgitson. Turgitson. Uh, which is a silly name, of course, but General Buck seems appropriate. I actually really like Sellers in every role. And there's a lot of admiration. Like as a, as a director, if I do a short film, I've always had a huge admiration for actors because mm-hmm. acting is something else. It's very difficult. I, for me, at least and some people it comes more naturally too. So I think for me, there's a level besides being funny, there's a level of like appreciation to, to carry three different roles, uh, in one movie. Right. And still make them, even if they're absurd and over the top, still make them independent of each other. Yeah. So no, no point during the film that I go, oh, it's just Peter Sellers again being stupid. Like they were all, they all had their little nuance that sure. felt different from the other. So I liked Peter Sellers in this film a lot. Um, so here's, here's a quick, here, well, if, unless you have anything else. Um, it, and so, by the way, the story ends with nuclear holocaust. The world's exploding. The world's done. We're all gone. We're, that's it. What and wasn't it um, hilarious? Wasn't the journey oh, hilarious? Not for Alan. Not for me, man. <laughs> it was for me. I think here's my thing is presenting the reality of the situation, which is nuclear holocaust, using a satirical model structure uh, was funny. So I was okay with it. Here's what I want to read. Let's see who agrees with Alan on uh, the film. And let's see who agrees with me. I'm going to guess not many people agree with me because this movie is beloved people love this movie well it's not the highest rated kubrick film good remember we talked about that last podcast yep the killing the killing came in at 98 percent if you remember okay i'll read some audience reviews this is this will make alan laugh though so the movie didn't no. but but these are sure to if I could now, the trick here, Alan, like last time, I think with a lot of Kubrick films, will be like you said, finding the opposing view. I'll read a couple that are five stars first. Okay. Uh, Amir says, "The best movie of my life." Oh my god! <laughs> that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Dr. Strangelove is the best movie of his life. Now you're going to feel bad because I'm going to get into this, his story. And it's, it's, uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it 
as uh, a 10 year old kid in the early 80s on Iranian TV and fell in love with it since and always. I waited to watch it again and again in the coming years. God bless Kubrick. Well, now okay, I feel that's... bad because I think English isn't his first language. It's a lot funnier if, it's, if these are people who speak fluent English and they're writing stuff like that. Now I feel bad. Damn it. No, you don't have to. <laughs> I love your laugh, so it made me laugh. Okay. Dr. Kill Patient, 10 months ago, five stars. Okay. This is where it's going to get political, but whatever. <laughs> I, I, I've never read these reviews, so I'm just going with it. Sweet. I'm a moderate Republican. I can take the ribbing of Dr. Strangelove. The conservatives in Dr. Strangelove look like sex-obsessed gun artillery, artillery craven depots and imbeciles. But, of course, Kubrick is one of the all-time great filmmakers. Okay, none of that – I mean, I get what he's saying, mm-hmm. but his writing is horrible. Not only that, but I don't think they ever said whether – I mean, he's just assuming that they're conservatives. So what does that say about his view of conservative? I think it's just the, uh, yeah, it, he, well, he's obviously in agreement, Right. I think based on his, his writing, I couldn't even get through anymore because it was so bad. So bad. <laughs> okay. I'm really scrolling here for, uh, it's going to be tough. I, I, I'm literally seeing five stars across the board. It's going to okay. be tough. Okay. Great movie. One of Kubrick's finest works, perfectly appropriate for audiences of all ages However, it is a lot of talking, so younger kids may get bored, but still a fantastic movie. There's a lot of talking. Yeah, I don't think many uh, young kids are going to enjoy this one. Okay, here we go. One star from one month ago. Okay. (laughs) Because of you and your great reviews, I ended up watching this film. I hated it. Already starting with so much vitriol. (laughs) Because of you <laughs> and your great reviews, you did. This I to me. hated it. Boring, comma bad filming, comma. My God, it was supposed to be funny, but I never laughed. The director made fun of a handicapped man, just like Trump did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to laugh at that review. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree about the comedy part, though. He's right. It's not funny. It's not funny, but once again, I think there's some relatability to modern times. I think he nailed it. Oh man, I just I just love how it starts off. It's like it's it's he's angry that someone made oh. him watch this movie. He's so upset. Someone you made sat me him, do this. Locked him to the chair, <laughs> put the screen on, powered up, and just like Clockwork Orange, plugged exactly. his eyes open to watch that damn movie. You did this to me. <laughs> Okay, I, it, there's a lot of political reviews in here. That's hilarious. And they're all relevant, like within the last year. So they're all Trump related, which makes sense. Doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me either. But I'm trying to find another negative one because they do bash on Trump, but then they say they like the movie. And I get what they're doing. I found <laughs> one on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a one and a half stars. Okay, well, let me do one more. And then I'll let you then read. Yeah, it's not it's not a funny one, but it's I agree with it wholeheartedly. Okay. One of the funniest movies of all time. Oh, my God. Already. You know what? It's nothing they're going to say is going to make it's going to be true at all. I can't trust anything. One of the best screenplays of all time. Oh, my God. 
one of the best performances of all time. <laughs> that was for you. Of all time. Oh god. Of all time. Okay. Um and I love Kubrick, but I do not agree with that high of a accolade necessarily. And I want to know who they're talking about who has the uh one of the best it's performances. Got, it's got to be Okay, here's my last one. Um no, that's not it. That that doesn't even make sense. Go ahead and read your your one and a half star. Okay. And it's it's not funny. It's not uh it's not good, but to me, it can be funny if you read it that way. You got it. I, I don't, <laughs> Gabe, I wouldn't want to upstage the master. I couldn't even do it. Uh, okay, it's hailed to be a comedy. Dr. Strangelove wasn't funny. Some of the plain scenes, some of the plain scenes, some of the plain scenes to be repetitive and lacked freshness. Other Wait, than read that. Some of the plain scenes to be repetitive and lacked freshness. Are they talking about like the plane, like vanilla, like there's no or plane the as plane, an airplane. The airplane, the airplane. I know, but the way right. they structured it right. made it sound interesting. Right, and there's a bunch of missing words. But see, you could have you could have turned that into you could have spun that into comedy gold. But I actually, Here, agree. I got here's my. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I agree. It's I don't think it's funny, and the plane scenes were very repetitive and lacked freshness. Perfect. Here you go. Here's here's you woo one month ago. One star coming at you. Okay, finally one star. Not funny at all. Quite disappointed for its hype. Um, I thought you'd like that one. I like that. Was that you woo? That I, was I, you woo. I agree with you woo. I wanted to find one more, but I can't find one that's okay. And this will go into my summation. What can I say but watch it? Okay. Okay, Alan, give me your summary Look, and your, your rating. I shit on this movie a lot. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on. I just don't like the mixed tone. And the comedy, I, I, again, this says a lot more about me than anything, but the comedy was so ham-fisted and bad that it was insulting. And it was a little offensive how... What the, some of the stuff that they fed, spoon fed to us and expected us to think was funny, but there's a lot of good stuff in here. I think all the performances are great, even though P- Peter Sellers, I didn't like him as Strange Love. His performance is still great for what it is. That's just that was the role. So I don't know. I I there are for Kubrick. I'm I'm disappointed because I and again I think it's just he can't do comedy. He's not funny. Have you ever heard any stories of him? laughing ever or smiling he doesn't he's very serious he's not he's not known for although on this on this as a piece of trivia there were many many takes delivered by peter sellers where allegedly kubrick was laughing hysterically and they had to redo takes because he couldn't contain himself i don't believe it well what it says for kubrick says for kubrick not being able to contain himself is just like (laughs) that's good you know, that's Kubrick. That's Kubrick losing his shit, laughing so hard. Uh, I don't know. I know I'm in the minority. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for everything. I'm going to give it <laughs> 6.4 mm, packs of chewing gum. Nice. Nice. 6.4 packs of chewing gum. 
Okay, Alan, well, let's see what IMDb has to say and Rotten Tomatoes, and then I'll jump into my last summation here. For Dr. Strangelove, IMDb, 8.4 out of 10. That's really good. It's pretty high, right? For Rotten Tomatoes, ooh, he ties the killing at 98%. For critics? For critics, 94 for audience. You are definitely in the minority. I'm, I, and I knew it. I, people love it. And that's, that's cool. But that's, I'm right. <laughs> but I'm right. That's cool. And, and as I scroll through, I don't see a lot of rotten reviews either on the critics. Yeah, I was looking. I, I couldn't find any. Actually, I don't see any. Which is Can interesting because there's always some contrarian oh, in the critics that just loves to kind of just stick it to everyone else i'll read you the here's one an unfocused unfunny black comedy dr strange love details the chaos okay and he gave it uh one and a half stars so it's rotten wow that's crazy a decidedly underwhelming entry within kubrick's increasingly spotty body of work Wow, that dude's coming in hard. David from Real Film is no joke when it comes to his analysis. He's coming in hot with hot takes. Philip K. Schuer, Schuer from the Los Angeles Times. To me, Dr. Strangelove is an evil thing about an evil thing. You'll have to make up your own mind about it. An evil thing, huh? I don't know if I'd call it an evil thing. I don't know if I'd go as far as evil, but uh, here's what I think. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, like I said, I, so, you know, it's in the middle tier of Kubrick films. Mentioned that earlier. Um, I love George C. Scott in this film. Love him. Everybody loves Peter Sellers. And I, I, lo- I think he does great. Peter Sellers, like I already mentioned, is great. But something about George C. Scott's character makes me laugh my ass off. Because, and it, and it could be this. I'm like, I think you were hinting on something. Look, he is a real character. Mm-hmm. And he is unaware of his allegiance to the the spot the, to the point of uh, it be it being a problem. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I think his character is is hilarious and funny to watch, and that's kind of what keeps me involved. The the hilarity. Um, I enjoy the movie. I think it concerns with things that are serious and are that, that do carry like real of course, dark tones and, and, uh, kind of cast a spotlight on what our world has the possibility of and we, what we as human nature have the possibility of doing. Um, and so that's how you laugh at it is you make it, make a comedy about it. So I'm going to come in, uh, with Dr. Strangelove. I have a score of 8.1 nuclear bombs. Nice. 8.1. Okay. I actually thought you'd come a little bit higher. Well, we haven't got to my favorite Kubrick films yet. That's true. And I think with The Killing, I came in with an 8.3. Actually, The Killing came in higher than this. Full Metal Jacket also, I think, is in the eights. Yeah. And usually I'm I'm sitting in the sevens mostly for most films in that general area. So all Kubrick's in the eight. And I haven't even got to Clockwork 2001. Uh, We haven't even covered... You know what I mean? So Yeah. I'm excited yeah, I, for those. 
Well, Clockwork's up next. Yeah, Clockwork like, Orange like is what we're going to cover next. Clockwork's going to be that's fun. In, that's in the top three for sure. Yeah. And and by the way, it's a hell of a lot darker than Doctor Strangelove. It is super dark. I remember watching this when I was younger, and I loved it so much. And then I going back and watching it as I got older, I was like, wow, I can't believe I watched this when I was... I mean, I can't believe yeah, I didn't yeah. realize how super dark it is. And, and we'll get into that on yeah. the next podcast as we continue The Mind of Mr. Kubrick. And I would say this is part one of the series, and we'll eventually sometime in the future continue with his library of work. This is Gabe and Alan with the Tame Aperture Podcast. Go check us out at tameaperture.com. Look for previous episodes on all the streaming platforms, including YouTube. This is Gabe and Alan with the Tame Aperture Podcast and our review of Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Until next time, everybody, peace. The Tame Aperture Podcast is produced by Dutch Angle Pictures in association with Studio B Productions. Listen, watch, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube.